Good morning. All right. You made it. Uh, you actually made it up a little easier than the uh, early service. You can see it in their eyes. They're like, because you know you're up, you're down, and then they go, "Okay, just stand up together." And they're like, "Oh." But they got up, and uh, good to shake each other's hands. Uh, good to be together this morning. We're in the study of the book of Acts. My name is Garth. I'm one of the pastors here. Did we already get Bibles handed out? Oh, we didn't? Okay. If you need a Bible, would you please just raise your hand here, and they'll come down the aisle. And um, if you have a Bible at home, don't forget it next week. Bring it with you. But you do want to have a Bible always out uh, on your lap here so we can study God's Word uh, together. Israel 2018, mark your calendars, all right? June 14th through 15th, trip of a lifetime. I don't know um, if you know this or not, but see that picture right there. That's the center of the earth. Everything that God has planned is going to culminate right here in the center of the earth. The Bible says that all the nations of the earth, the armies of the earth, every one of them, will point their troops toward that piece of land right there in Jerusalem. And they will be coming to absolutely annihilate it and the people of Israel with it. But the good news is, is that somebody else is going to stand in their way. His name is Jesus. He's going to come back, amen? And that is our history. That is where the world is heading. And he has brought them into the land for a purpose. Seventy years ago, this is the 70-year anniversary that we're going to be there. That's three score and ten, one generation. For those of you who are prophecy people, we know there's a time clock ticking with Israel coming back together because the last time Jesus was there, very close to that golden dome there, Dome of the Rock, and uh, he said this to Israel. He said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He walked off that land being rejected by Israel. But he said, you'll be here again, and you'll cry out to me, Hosanna, Hosanna. God save, God save. You'll call out my name, Jesus, and I'll come and get you and rescue. It's awesome. So we get to be there and be there on the Mount of Olives where this picture was taken and a lot of places where Jesus walked and where he was, and the Bible comes to life. So mark that calendar. We'll have brochures out for you probably by next week, announcing that again and uh, we want to get you signed up for that awesome trip. <clears throat> now, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1. It says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And he brought only part of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds to the land? Was it not your, at your disposal after you so, uh, it was sold? Um, while it remained unsold, excuse me, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not your, at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, you have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men arose, and they wrapped him up, and they carried him out, and then they buried him. 
Tough day at church, huh? Can you imagine? Come home, your wife goes, hey, honey, how was church today? Oh, well, uh, you know, during the offering, God killed a man. And uh, we, bur- you know, we wrapped him up and buried him. Um, maybe we need to pray before we start this message this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you today. We've come to hear your words. Everyone's your breath. We do not need to hear from one another. We need to hear from you. You have the words of life and their life to us. Give us an awe and a reverence today at this awesome passage and remember that, Lord, you are our life and your word feeds us and we ask you to feed us today. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, introduction. You caught it. First words out of our text begin, uh, began with, but a man named Ananias. So it kind of tips you off as you read that and you go, wait a minute. Hey, well, there's more to the story because you don't start with but, right? So there's got to be more to the story. Just, just a good reminder as you're reading your Bible, just because you started a chapter doesn't mean you're beginning at the beginning of the story uh, because those were just stuck in there so that later on, they're not the original, just so you can know and kind of mark where you are uh, in the Bible. So at this place, this was a bad place to put that because they just jumped in in the middle of a story. So we're going to go back and catch up this story. But the book of Acts, what is it? It's about God saving man. It was his plan from the beginning. So on the day of Pentecost, by power, through his, the Spirit of God, he started indwelling men. He came into mankind because their sins were now forgiven by Jesus, and now God could dwell with men. It was an awesome thing to read. In fact, several thousand people were saved on the first day. And what did they do? They went and got baptized. This is what you do when you get saved. You go out publicly and you tell everybody, listen, I'm with Jesus. My life's dead. I died with him. I was buried with him. But now I'm resurrected in his life. I'm a different guy. And that's what it, what it meant. It meant for all of these people here. And so we're seeing in the book of Acts, they were baptized. And what did they do? They found other people that were saved. And they... They fellowshiped together. They broke bread together. They read the word of God together. Uh, They spent time in prayer night after night together in this new life in Jesus. So we read this and we look at this and we realize that in the middle of that, then after all of that, as you're getting to know the Lord, all of a sudden persecution comes. Next thing you know, it's costing you something to follow the Lord. And of course, we see the early church being saying, listen, just don't say the name of Jesus. And they said, well, wait a minute. We can't, we can't but speak of our Lord. We're not going to stop saying the name of Jesus. So this is a church that's on fire. They're hungry, uh, hungry for the Lord, even at the cost of their own life. And so we see here, and this is something you might not have picked up at this point, but these are all Jews. They're all Jewish. There's no Gentiles. No Gentiles have been saved yet. Jesus said it this way. He said, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the other most parts of the world. The plan is to save the world, but at the beginning, these people thought God was their Savior, Jesus, their Messiah. He's saving Israel, but he was saving more than Israel. He was saving the whole world. And so what happened when they got saved was this, is that um, a portion of all of Israel said Jesus is the Messiah. He died and rose again. And the other part said He's not our Messiah. He died. 
Messiahs don't die. So there was a war that was going on here, a spiritual war. You might know what it's like a little bit, right? We know a little bit, maybe not as much as they do, but you get saved, and when you gave your life to Jesus and you went and told uh, your unsaved friends, something happened. You were separated because one of you is in light and one of you is in darkness. It's just, you can't avoid it. It's called spiritual warfare, isn't it? And that's exactly what they're going through, a lot of spiritual warfare at this time, but they're standing together. I mean, they're together. In fact, they're up to their eyeballs in standing together because that's all they have is one another. So it's pretty tough. So we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 32. So back up a little bit. Let's go back and let's see what's going on here to bring about this story. And it begins, and we pick it up again in verse 32. It says, now the full number, all of these people who have given their life to Jesus, the full number, the multitude, of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Nobody said that anything, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And that's pretty rare, isn't it? To have everything in common with someone. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now that sounds familiar because that's what Ananias is doing in our story. He sold a piece of property, but he's not giving it all. He's holding back some. So what's happening here? The church is united. The church united. That, that's the design of the church. When we get saved and we come to Jesus, we're united with him. That's his plan. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be with him forever. He unites us with him. We're one with him. But here's the deal. We could forget this a little bit, but the church is to be united with the church <laughs> because the church, other believers, are also one with the Lord. And we're all supposed to be one together. That's the design of the church. We love God with all of our hearts, and we love one another as ourselves. Now, that's kind of a broken system today, isn't it? A lot of us don't even think of the church that way. We think of us and God, and we see some other people once a week, right? And that's the church, but it's not the church. Now, when I read this passage, I don't know about you, but it convicts me because I don't know that I'm that united, but I'm supposed to be that united because that's the model of the church. That's the, it never changes, it only has one design. That's God's design. So even today, it's still the same design as it was in the beginning. We are to come together, leave the world, leave, go away from the things of Satan and the fallenness of this world, and we're to cling to the Lord, and now we got a new family, which is the body of Christ and we're to be with one another. Unity is the ultimate goal. Now, that's a problem in the church. It's always been a problem because why? We're selfish, right? Unity is hard to come by in the church. shouldn't be. We're all, we're all one together, but, but, we're, but we don't seem to do very well at it, right? Um, now, let me give you a, a description of what Paul says a little later in the church, and here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. 
verse 2 through 6. He says, with all humility, he's reminding the church, humble yourselves. Be gentle with sincere, I mean with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's a lot of ones. When we come together with the Lord, we're supposed to be one. That's his design. He says, don't you remember that? You're one together. That's the beauty of the church is in its unity. It's the strength of the church. Now, let me ask you a question because I like to ask myself questions when, when I read the Bible and usually I point them at myself, but I'll point them with you as you as well. How you doing on that? Have you given everything to the Lord? Are you one with him? Are you of one mind? One heart with the Lord? Lord, my heart's your heart. My mind's your mind. What you think, I want to think. What you do, I want to do. Well, how are you doing on the one mind, one heart with the body of Christ? Are you one together? Have you given yourself over to the body of Christ to serve and to live and to depend upon and to pray together and to seek the Lord together and to fellowship together? That's challenging, isn't it? It's convicting. If not, why not? Why, why not? Some people tell me, they say, well, I'm not really comfortable around Christians. <laughs> why not? You know, some people say, well, you know what? I'm just a loner. To me, my church is the great outdoors. And to be on the mountainside is my church. Well, it's not the Lord's church. You got your own church. That's not his church. We're his church. The body of Christ is his church. We're to be one together. <laughs> that's, that's not God's plan. That's your plan. But here's another question. If you don't want to be around Jesus' people, what's, what is the problem? The problem is you don't love the Lord. I mean, let's just face it. If we love the Lord, we love what the Lord loves. I mean, the problem's in our love for the Lord. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you, you haven't believed on the Lord. I'm just saying there's a problem in your relationship because there's no way I'm going to start loving you until I start loving the Lord. I mean, look at you, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not that easy to love, are we? I mean, it's, that's a difficult thing. It's supernatural. And I got to get some supernatural help to get into this because if I do it in my flesh, I'm never going to want to be around you, right? <laughs> you know how it is. We can rub each other the wrong way. We got problems and struggles and all kinds of things. It takes work to be around each other. But you know what? I, I start to love that work when I start to love the Lord and I see that he loves you so much. And I start to love you that way. And that's the sign of maturity. Nothing else is a sign of maturity in the church. It doesn't matter how big they are, how strong they are, how popular they are. That isn't great to God. What's great is unity and their love one for another. That's how they'll know you by your love one for another. And so if you want to find a powerful church, then look at their unity and their love for each other. Constant struggle, but it's worth it. They had one heart and one mind, and this church was one. And that's what God is trying to say to us in this passage, because um, the next passage is going to deal with breaking that unity, right? 
So these people weren't selling their stuff. By the way, I'm not taking an offering today, okay? <laughs> just give me all. Give us all. You have. No, just kidding. No, God's not, that's not the point. The point was they did it because they needed it, and they did it out of love. And they said, listen, I'll sell what I got, and I'll put it on the table here because, man, they're in a tough time. They had lost their homes, many of them. They had lost their, their, their identity with their people group because now they're rejected by Israel for coming to Jesus because the leaders of Israel were still rejecting Jesus. So homes, jobs, all of it, can you imagine, just wiped out. So they're in a great place. They were in a great place of poverty in the early church. Um, and so they're saying, hey, listen, we got to stand together. And uh, again, they thought Jesus is going to come get us soon, hopefully, and uh, we'll just make it as long as we can. But we're one with one another. God says, listen, that's powerful. And he was showing himself great. Verse 36. You guys didn't shut your Bibles, did you? Good. Okay. I didn't see very many heads go down. Verse 36. Heads are still up. Okay. Verse 36, right. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He had been one of those that had traveled to hear the message of the Lord uh, as a Jew. Sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Wow, okay, that's the exact story. Just different name. Barnabas. He's a different guy than Ananias because he surrendered himself to the Lord and he's giving everything that he has because of his love for the Lord. He's the son of encouragement. He's filled with the spirit of God and he wants to do anything he can for the body of Christ and that's why he's doing what he's doing. He's gonna be a missionary in the early church with the apostle Paul and he'll be one of the early deacons that we see in the church but a powerful, wonderful work here. But what, what, why is he there? He's there as a contrast, isn't he? A man named Barnabas um, to this man, verse 1 of chapter 5. Now we're at the beginning of this story uh, as far as verse 1, and it says, but a man named Ananias. Something's changing. We mark something here. This is the church deceived. The church has been attacked from outside, but now Satan wants to get on the inside. And this is the marking point of it in the early church. And God says, listen, I'm marking it. He doesn't want Satan in his church. But now Satan's trying to make inroads on the inside of the church. And that's what Ananias is doing. Whether he understands that or not, he's the one that's planting a seed of deception within the church. He's in contrast to the people in unity within the church. Why would he do this? What could he gain, him and his wife, as they plot this thing? See, we'll go there and we'll give part of it, but we'll hold back part for ourselves. But they'll think that we gave everything. What's the plan? He just plans on lying. Lying his way into notoriety and favor with the apostles and with the church. It's deceptive. He and his wife, they both agreed to deceive the church so that they can look, be looked upon like a Barnabas. It's deception, isn't it? This is going to plant a seed within the church that would be a foothold for Satan to get in. Oliver Holmes, he says this. He says, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. That's the way it works. It's just a little lie, but it plants a seed of deception 
And uh, the Lord says, I don't want that in my church. So what happens? Verse three. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? It was yours. You didn't have to give it. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give the money for it. He's asking the same thing. Why why would you do this? You're sinning against God. You're deceiving, uh, uh, lying to the Holy Spirit. You contrived this in your heart. You're lying to God. Now, Ananias never really actually lied to Peter, probably because he just took this money. He said, well, we sold the land and we want to give this money. And he puts it down there. He didn't say how much he sold the land for. Peter says, listen, you didn't lie to me. You lied to God. How did Peter know that? You know, there's a, there's a Bible. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells us. How much does the Holy Spirit know? Everything. God knows everything. He knows everything in our heart. The Bible says he even knows why we think what we think, the motives of our heart. So he's, he knows everything. And what did he do? He told Peter. So the guy comes up and the Lord says, He's lying. He's lying. He's deceiving. That's not what he sold. That's not what he sold the property for. It's called a word of wisdom. Uh, it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God can give it to us, can he? He can tell us things we would never know because he knows them. And uh, God's doing it because he's stopping this man at the door because he wants Peter to, uh, again, keep this guy out. That's why God puts leadership in the church. That's what the shepherds of the church are supposed to be for. They're supposed to watch out for the sheep. They're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. They're supposed to know the word of God. And when anybody twists with a little lie and they're deceptive there, God will point them out and he'll remove them. And I believe this, that if men of God will be the men of God they're supposed to be, then they will protect their church. They'll keep it whole. They'll keep the word of God uh, on the forefront uh, of the church. Truth will be truth. Jesus will be glorified. But if they don't, these men will get in to the church. Listen to what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. This is one of the sadder scriptures in, uh, in the Bible for me as a pastor and a shepherd because that's my challenge. But I hear the heart of Paul as he's talking to these Ephesian elders before he leaves, the shepherds of the Ephesian church, uh, church. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not literal wolves, but men that are described like wolves, they're going to deceive. They want to deceive the truth of God and the people of God. And he says, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Men that are already there will be twisted and they will turn away from truth. And, they'll, and he's weeping and he's crying. Keep them out. Keep them out. That's the charge. Peter is doing that. He's a shepherd. And God, I wish the Lord would raise up more shepherds that would say, listen, we're not doing that in this church. We're not preaching that in this church. That's not God's word. We're going to stand with God's word. I don't care what society thinks. Truth is truth. We're going to guard it against the wolves. Why? Because they want to destroy the body of Christ, don't they? That's the goal. Now, there's another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's an epidemic, you know. It's what Satan does. He wants to do it in every church. He's lying to us as well, right? But he goes on and he says in 2 Corinthians, for such men, this is another church, Corinthian church, for such men are false apostles. Sounds like Ananias. 
deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No, I'm, I'm giving everything. I'm giving all. I'm totally committed to the Lord. And No, you're not. You're lying. You're not Barnabas. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's, he's a crafty liar, isn't he? Really looks like it's good, but it's a lie. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. That's what they do. That's what the Ananiases do to get in to the church. But the Holy Spirit, uh, right, he lays that open and he will stop them. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing here. He's making a point of this. And he's uh, showing this to everybody. The Bible says in the last days, church is going to wax worse and worse. And I've been watching it. The shepherds that are supposed to hold to this truth and only this truth, the purity of God's word and his message, they've been caving left and right. Churches are going off into immorality and they're doing immoral things and they're embracing immorality and the church is lax. There's no fear of God anymore in the church. That's our day. These are the last days. It's sad because the Bible says that churches will become completely selfish. People that come in are just going to be lovers of themselves. Tickle me. Tell me something I want to hear. I'm not committed to, to the body of Christ here. I'm, for, I'm here for myself. And it's sad to say, but that's the culture that we see. It's our flesh. It's not our spirit. It's the flesh, and the church becomes more fleshly. I wish I could say the church would win the world to Christ. But the Bible says he's going to have to take his church away and he's going to come and judge uh, the world and judge the evil himself. That's the story of the Lord. But there's another person in this story, a man named Satan. That's who filled Ananias' heart, right? An angel named Satan. That's all he is, is an angel. He's a created being. Jesus created him. The Bible says he made everything that's made. He's a great enemy of the church. And trust me, when we... Uh, you don't want to deal with him. You don't want to uh, take, uh, take uh, his lies into your own life because that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy you. Jesus said this in John 8, 44. It's a, <laughs> and this is Jesus. He's speaking about Satan. He says, he says, you, which are the religious leaders who would say, no, we're following God. We're doing God's bidding. No, 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 no. You're deceived. You, don't, you won't embrace me as Messiah. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Just tells him right out. You're following Satan. You're not following God. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Now, why is he saying that? Because they want to murder him. They wanted to kill him. You're trying to kill your own God, and you're using, and Satan is the one who's getting you to do it. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you think Jesus knows who this angel is? He made him. Made him perfect. But it was in his own heart that he says, listen, I won't follow you, God. I'll do my own thing. I'll be like God. And he's been in rebellion against God ever since. And he is trying to get into the church, trying to get into our lives, right? To break up the unity within the church. He had filled Ananias and Sapphira's heart, and they were, you know, going along with this lie, and now God says, listen, I'm going to judge you openly so everybody can see uh, and have fear and, and reverence there that you will not get away with this, uh, and you ought not get away with this within my church. So 
Um, here was the problem with Ananias. He did not fear God, did he? He did not fear God. Now, there's one other person that's in this story very clearly. Who is he? <laughs> He's the person named the Holy Spirit. And just uh, people debate or want to debate that God is in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible establishes that very clearly. But no place, uh, uh, there's no place like this verse to establish the person of the Holy Spirit. Why? Here's what Peter said. He said, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Okay? But then he turns around in verse 4 and he says, you have not lied to God. I mean, to man, but to God. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. And he's a person. And he dwells inside of us. He's not a wind. He's not a feeling. He's a person. The person of God indwells us. You can't get closer to God than that. When we accept Jesus as our Lord, the Bible says he will come into you and he will be, uh, he'll, he'll be with you and he'll be in you and he will guide you and he will give you strength. We're as close as we can get to God in Christ, aren't we? We're one together with him. And we have the real person, the person of the Holy Spirit, and he guides us and he speaks to us and uh, he instructs us and he empowers us. And we should be in awe of that. But Ananias wasn't. He was willing to lie to God in order to get established in the church. Verse five says this, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and they wrapped him up and they buried him. Great fear. And then verse seven says, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. <laughs> it's not the day to be late to church. Because if she would have been there at the same time, she could have watched him drop and then, you know, is that what you sold him? No, he's a liar. He got what he had coming to him, right? But here's what it says. You know that uh, she didn't know. She came in not knowing what had happened, that her husband was already dead. And Peter said to her, tell me, whether you sold the land for this much, so much, and she looked him in the eyes and she said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and she breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. God records this story for good reason. He wants a respect for his church. And this is the first recorded time of defiling his church. God loves his church. He wants to protect his church. And verse 11 says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. That's a good church. The church that fears God is a great church because God is great. He owns everything that we, we have. There's nothing that we have that's not his. Everything is his. He's created us. He's made us. Our lives are his. And we need to be in awe of that. 
And that's what keeps the church healthy. That's what keeps us healthy. It isn't a fear or a terror of the Lord because he loves us, but he's awesome and he's great. And there should be a fear before we just say, I'm going to deceive God. I'm going to stand against you. I'm not going to do what you want to do. You know, uh, I really don't care if you see this or not. God says, we ought not have that kind of relationship with the Lord, right? So let me tell you about one more man as I close this morning. It's a man named Achan, a man named Achan. I think it brings this truth home, and it's out of Joshua chapter 7, verses 15 through 26. So if you have notes, you know, you want to write down there, write Joshua 7, 15 to 26. You can go back and read the whole story later. But like Ananias, Achan decided that he would stand against God and nobody would know. He could do and be defiant against God, and nobody would know the wiser if he hid what he was doing. So the Lord had commanded Israel that it's just like the early church, they're beginning a new thing. They're going into the land. It's the first battle that they come to as they come in the land, and God says, listen, I'm gonna, you're going to win this one. I'm with you, and I'm going to fight your battles for you. But here's the deal. When you win this battle, everything is mine. You don't take anything for yourselves. That's the whole point of it. The point of it is, listen, it is all mine, and, uh, and I want you to dedicate all of that to mine. Nobody takes anything for themselves. That was very clear. But of course, Achan decided that he was going to take some treasures for himself. And here's what happened. The next time that they went to battle... And they went to thinking there the Lord was with them. They lost and 36 men died. And Joshua, who's the shepherd of Israel, he said, God, what, what happened? Why didn't we win this battle? And he said, there's sin in the camp. There's somebody who's challenging me and took what was mine. And God singles them out. He stood the whole nation of Israel and tribe by tribe. They singled them out to this tribe and then to the leaders of that tribe and then to the families of this tribe. And then Achan's name was called. Come out here, Achan. God doesn't want to expose our sin, but of course he will, won't he? And so Joshua says, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and he said, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, beautiful piece, uh, I took it. And 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold that weighing 50 shekels in weight. And I coveted them and I took them and behold, they are concealed in the earth Inside my tent, I buried him under my tent, the silver underneath it. And when Joshua and all of Israel with him, took a, they took Achan, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. That was all the Lord's. But he said, you took of what was mine, and now everything of his is being taken. And the Bible says they walked him up uh, down into the valley of Achor and they stoned them with stones, put them to death and they buried them with a great heap of stones. And there was a memorial unto that day. You say, why would God do that for one little lie, one little thing? It's not that big of a deal. 
Well, listen, one little lie turns into another little lie and another little lie, and then pretty soon somebody finds out, hey, God doesn't care. You can steal from him. You can do the things against him and, um, and get away with it. And then pretty soon there's more and more, and then pretty soon all of that has infected uh, Israel. Great fear came upon Israel, and they reverenced the Lord for a while. That's the problem with fear. It only lasts for a while. And people are trying to find another way to get get uh, uh, something uh, there or do something against the Lord. And, uh, and it's the same thing with the church. God wanted there to be great fear here and reverence there, but it, it only lasted for a while. And then men were trying to find their way in and, and uh, again there. But the Lord said, listen, it's worth it to me uh, that people would honor and respect the Lord. Two things about this passage today. Number one, the church is the Lord's. It's his body. It's his people. He doesn't want anyone attacking them, not even within themselves to attack one another. He cares about that. We are to be one with one another. It's a great truth here. We might not be, but we should be, and we should be caring and loving for one another. That's the way God wants it to be. If we love him, then we love one another. Powerful. He wants unity within the church. Number two, he wants us to remain in awe of him. That each day, Lord, I, I want to serve you. You're an awesome God. Everything is yours. And God, I want to respect and honor what is right. Both those things are so important for the church. And those things, when they're broken, they destroy the church. And Satan gets in and he does a lot of horrible things, doesn't he? Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you this morning for your truth and this story wasn't in here by accident. Didn't just stumble on. Hey, oh, here's a good story about the early church. No, it's a marker. It's a reminder that Satan always wants to get into our lives and he always wants to fill our hearts and get us to be on the wrong track or to even do things that are against you. And, and then it breaks down our relationship, Lord, um, with one another. You want us to love one another and our hearts to be filled with caring for one another and giving to one another. That's what's powerful. It's what you've saved us for. Would you remind us of that today? We're one with you, one God, one Lord, one Savior, one kingdom. And Lord, we're in that kingdom. Help us to walk in unity, Lord, today, we pray. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.